Welcome to the Beth and Kelly Show, a weekly Facebook Live conversation between Beth Fortune and Kelly Klingen. That's me. And we've made it into a podcast. Beth Fortune currently serves as Education Director at Wintergrass, the National American String Teachers Association Board, and Chair of the National Council for Orchestral Education. I currently serve as Education Director at Jazz Ed the Washington president at Jazz Education Network and Jazz Curriculum Officer for Washington Music Educators Association. We have a platform and we really want to leverage it for positive change. Please hit us up. Let's have a conversation and uh, let's move our practice as music educators forward. You must celebrate every time it works. Every single time it's a celebration. And uh, I just feel like the fact that we have gotten to December as teachers and we are still in one piece um, is something to celebrate on this Friday. (laughs) I I completely agree. Crazy. And um, Beth and I are joined by somebody new to our lives. This is Michelle McCauley. And um, I became familiar with Michelle's work through the Decolonizing the Music Room Facebook group, which is like the discussion portion of that nonprofit, which um, Michelle, maybe you want to talk a little bit about. But um, Michelle was putting out um, some videos that were um, like, please don't do this in your Thanksgiving celebrations with your students. And I thought that is a really good thing to be talking about on this show. But um, we'll go in all kinds of directions for sure. But Michelle, you have a super fascinating background in that, and also, current job I don't know of a lot of people that teach band and mariachi it's usually the orchestra teacher that does the mariachi group or someone who's been hired from outside the community so just what you're doing um you know as your day job is fascinating also so you're just someone I really want our listeners to connect with and to know that they can um bring into their classrooms if there might be a time for um a clinic and we'll talk about all of that different stuff but before we do michelle do you want to give us just a little introduction a little bio sure uh, i am michelle mccauley i currently am a member i reside on the pyramid lake paiute indian reservation in nevada um, my mother, however, my dad is a, is the member here, which is how I got my membership, but my mother is not a member of the Pyramid Lake Paiute tribe. So my mother is actually a member of the Washoe um, tribe of Nevada and California. So I am a mix of different tribes and I grew up on the reservation from preschool, which we call it Head Start. And then till eighth grade, I stayed on the reservation that whole entire time. Uh, That's where I learned how to play my instrument at age 10. But I also learned cultural dances at my school by people from the community who came in. So I always saw people who looked like me. I saw them in teacher roles. And so I've never, I've always 
I was thinking about this before doing this interview lately is that I've always seen uh, Native women taking the lead and some men and teaching us. So I, I had I had Native teachers growing up. And currently, I also have my own child. I'm a mother. I have a 12-year-old. She's a middle schooler. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I cool when you're a middle school specialist and then your child is in middle school. I'm just yeah. like, middle school specialist and my daughter's an eighth grader now it's been like the best three years because I'm kind of doing what I'm good at (laughs) yeah and they're so um I I love the I will say this too I love the middle school age I have taught elementary I have taught uh, a pre-k this is my most recent work before returning back to middle school uh middle school band and mariachi band I could teach in my sleep I don't know why I was so good at band I love it but every time I've tried to not be in band here comes a band job. So I feel like that's another thing that I've been looking at. I'm like, oh my gosh, I cannot get away from this field. Yeah, so um, I did the elementary school, but I love middle school students. I have worked with some high school at a a private music camp. Um, I do teach mariachi currently. I have a little bit of experience being in a mariachi in my in my college, and I'm a, I'm always in the culture too. Um, I'm I'm, a, I'm around the Mexican culture a lot because my boyfriend's Mexican. Me also uh, because I play in a Mexican banda, which is actually the first time how you how you and I interacted. Um, oh yeah, yeah, okay. Um, because I play in a banda that reads music, which is um, not traditional. In and, and, and funny you in, so as my as I'm teaching mariachi knowing knowing that that's not traditional one of my emphasis is on getting away from the music and trying to get my students to play strictly from memory because myself since I am around a culture a lot um, also teaching myself how to just memorize and since I'm a classical I'm a classically trained clarinetist like I I could read that music all day up and down whatever you know that's how I went to, to college on that so Divorcing myself now and doing more cultural music in my own culture, I never read music and I, I never thought of it. I never thought about how, okay, this is just my culture. This is what I do. I never, th- I, I don't even ever think of reading music in my culture. And so, yeah. So that's another thing I'm, I'm combining um, in my teaching is trying to bring in more oral skills or for memorization in addition to reading. So I have to really divorce myself from reading music. Yeah. Right. What instrument do you play in mariachi? So I started off, <laughs> I started off with trumpet because uh-huh. that, because I'm from the band world, right? So I started off on trumpet, but I had a limited range, maybe up to the F on the on top of the staff on a good day. Cause I didn't, I'm not like practicing anymore. Um, but now um, I also have a little bit of experience with guitar. Mm-hmm. I am learning a lot more about the guitaron. Oh, my favorite. Um, I love it so much. <laughs> right. It that and teaching, teaching through distance right now, <laughs> teaching a guitaron through through a kid who doesn't have a microphone. It like you, you could barely hear it yeah. over Zoom. And I do a little bit of vihuela. So um, mm. and, and I've started a little bit more uh, violin. So I think the other day I finally was able to do like uh, the birthday song Las Mañanitas or something. I got that out on violin. Nice. Yeah, so when I'm forced to do something, because I was like, I, I can't learn violin. I'm a band person. I can't learn. I actually, I can. I found out I can once I got over that. And I'm like, okay, I got to teach these kids. So I can do enough on each instrument. Um, That's something that Beth and I talk a lot about is yep. the idea that, um, well, actually several things that you just mentioned. But what I was going to 
pull apart here is this idea that um, if we get our students a bag of tricks and yep. we really like bring them as much depth as possible, not just reading off the page, that's important, yes, but also learning by ear, that's important. And um, like feeling yeah. free that they can arrange music and put it together with each other, you know? And that, and that if, if we uh, empower them with a depth of skills that they're able to use in different ways, then actually they are able to um, do a lot of this for themselves, right? I mean, if they know how to sing, for example, a major scale, they can figure it out on some different instruments too because they know what it's supposed to sound like, for example. And for teachers, just because there's something that you haven't learned before or you didn't learn in college, it doesn't mean that you can't teach it. Like, you know- Be a learner while you're- Be a learner. You learn at the same time. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Do you find, Michelle, that um, learning these instruments alongside the kids is a problem or is it just fine? For me, it's just fine. And I think um, thinking about music, music preparation programs in general, mm -hmm. before I even entered um, in my undergrad, I started out as a, you know, the music education. And before I got there, though, I had already, I was a cl mainly clarinet player, all state musician and all that. However, um, I also doubled on the trombone and played the trombone in jazz while I was in high school. And I had already learned the trumpet before I had gotten there. So, uh, and I learned from other people who played these instruments. When I went to like this music camp, I would learn from the people, like fellow classmates who played the trumpet. Um, so I learned right alongside anybody. And my default setting, I guess, whether it, as an educator is just learn from somebody who's better than me. Yeah. Um, if I have like a trombone question, I don't rely on myself. I will go to somebody that I know. Ask an is, expert. Exactly. I always do that. I default to like, well, who's who's good at this? And so I never think of myself as the expert. I, I can always gain more. So yeah, I'm very comfortable doing that. And I think I'm also um, extremely uncomfortable or extremely comfortable admitting when I don't know something. But the minute I do that, I go seek someone out. And it takes like five minutes to look at something to find somebody. I feel like we're, we're living in a, an age where we could find things right away. Yeah. And then it only takes, uh, depending upon what type of musician I think an educator is, I was the kind, I was a clarinet player, very studious. And I was like drill over and over and over and over and over. So I feel like there's certain things I will drill over and over and over within a matter of minutes um from my training and then I've got it regardless if I'm reading music now so yeah I I realize that that's not the default for many educators as I'm learning with conversations through decolonizing the music room um I I never feel like I have it all together so I'm always open to learn and even when it's right alongside and then I feel like you ask your question you get your answer there it is now you can teach it if I try to act like I have it all together and I well, there's don't. just no way. I, I think that's why there's, uh, on a broader level, that's why there are so many teachers who are not um, engaging in 
decolonizing their own classrooms, especially at the secondary level, because we haven't seen it, we don't know what it looks like, we haven't tried it before, and we think that we have to be an expert. But it's hard to get over your own lack of knowledge. Your own lack of knowledge and your own ego, and just say, you know what, actually, this is best for my kids and it's actually good for them to see me engaging in the learning process also and that it doesn't um, undermine my value as their teacher to say I don't know something. Right. It's actually healthy for our students to see that. Well, the thing is, um, Michelle, is Kelly and I were also middle school specialists when we taught together. We taught together for almost a decade in just this, this great school. And um, we've both moved on. Kelly moved into the nonprofit sector and I moved up into high school. So this comes into play when you're in high school and you're working with kids who are better technicians on their instrument than me. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't play the cello and I've got kids who are, you know, I mean, whoa, amazing <laughs> players. And like, as a teacher, you sometimes also have to like take the back seat to the kids who know something better than you. <laughs> I mean, I do have to say, Michelle, on the one hand, I'm really glad that there are teachers who are thinking, I would like to honor Native American music. That is a good thing, but having the powwow is the wrong way. And I thought maybe we, you could explain why we shouldn't do a powwow. And then maybe let's talk about some ways that we can honor Native American music in our classrooms. Can yeah. we do that? Yeah, so starting <laughs> with, um starting with this idea of a powwow and and i guess it goes back to the to kind of the plight of native americans right now we fight invisibility here mm -hmm. in this country and so that's also why i think that some you get these educators saying how about i just have a powwow and they ask a non-native person um i know there was a poll not too far back asking americans about just americans i guess anybody who lives in this country who's not a native person do you believe that Native American people are alive? And 80% of the people of the population said no. So I think that's a that's a significant issue right there in itself. So if, if you're living in an area where there's no tribes, there's certain states we have in the United States, there's zero tribes. And then we have states that are overloaded with tribes like California and Oklahoma. Where we this live, they're in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, and in Washington, yeah. which the powwow the powwows are on hold right now so those are somewhat of a fairly contemporary thing that we have and we have competition and in your guys's area i've been up there three or i've been to the, the state of washington for three different powwows but i do know that there's a ton of powwows that happen up there yeah. um, and then there's further different tribes and then when it say if i go to a powwow up in that area anybody who goes to that any any native person goes to that we know that we are not in our territory we know that there's going to be different songs and so usually there's a person from the area who will render a prayer within the language um that's there at the powwow and so 
I'm not too big on land acknowledgements because I'm I'm so used to having the actual person from a tribe be there not saying this is the land of and have nobody present. I'm used to seeing somebody uh, give their talk about what they're doing and I'm the, I'm from the, I'm a member of this tribe and things like that. So yeah, definitely I think we have a a deficit in a lot of different places here in the country where you see no natives because they've been pushed out of the state. The, or they're fighting for federal recognition and the United States government will not give that to them because if they federally recognize them, they're going to have to give them land. So I think that's another big issue why people are like, I'm just going to honor you. I'm going to figure out any way I can to honor you. And then they, they kind of go off of stereotypes. Um, they don't know where to look. But one big thing about natives right now for anyone, anybody who wants to know anything about us, if you go to YouTube, you put in um, anything like, native songs a tribal song 2020 we live on social media we have no we have no channels dedicated to us here in the united states hollywood obviously is not dedicated to us and i have also some friends who have become actors and have tried to pitch different ideas to hollywood here it's very hard industry they're kind of anti-native because they want to they that idea that we're not here the erasure that's Mm -hmm. also part of the programming so we live on social media we live on tiktok um, I just entered a handrum singing contest Sunday night that was just open to anybody in Canada, the United States, any native person. And I was like, I want to, I feel like singing tonight. Let me, let me go ahead and just join this. So we have open like contests that happen on Facebook live, just like we are right now. Uh, so once you, and there's a really good page called the social distance powwow that started since the pandemic started, I think they're maybe at 100,000 members right now, but they're gaining members from all over the world. On that page, anybody could go join it, social distance powwow. On that page, you will see dance contests, uh, singing contests. They'll even do just broadcast where you'll get the MCs of our powwow talking about what it is, how they do their jobs. And I've run a couple of powwows in my life it is not easy and there are roles there. And I explain this like a tiny, tiny bit in the video, but there's roles that people have to fill and you need to find them. There's the MC, there's the arena director. Before the dancers come in, there's certain things that have to be done to the arena to, to, pick, an, to pick a place to have a powwow. You gotta know people who know the rules and parameters of these. You have to have the prayers taken care of. You have to have a grand entry entrance. And then there's the outfits for all of us, I make outfits too. I haven't been sewing right now. I do beadwork. <laughs> Where do I find time to do this? I don't know. But <laughs> all of this, like our, our lives are dedicated to it who do this lifestyle. So a teacher just doing that and I have no idea what they would do for the outfits. But I can honestly say I've bought jingle dresses from, you can't buy them at stores. I bought them from friends for $600 and yeah. they're worth way more than that. These yeah. handcrafted um they're worth way more than that so that's another reason why i just know unless even if you've been to a powwow if you've just been to one they used to be all over the united states every weekend um now they are not but you can just put in powwow 2020 on youtube that's it you just go thousands of videos a very good friend of mine how would you feel if like a teacher wanted to show a virtual powwow to their class and um and to to talk about it as a as a learning opportunity how do you feel about that 
Well, ironically, when I made this video, um, a very good friend of mine, she was actually a band friend of mine from high school. So we were in the same band together. She actually showed her, she read a book. There's a book out called Jingle Dress Dancer to her first grade class. Okay. And then she showed them videos of actual Jingle Dress Dancers. Like she did that. And then she came to me and then she asked me, cause she knows me. She's like, what is the Jingle Dress Dance? My kids kind of want to dance. That is exactly what people should do. Um, that's exactly what we should do. And so I just told her, I'm like, oh, well, I jingle dress dance. It came from the Anishinaabe. And I said, yeah, to little kids, we have dances called inner tribals where anybody could kind of learn, but it's always best to just default back to somebody. So she did show a video. Um, I have a YouTube channel. You could just search my name and there's a lot of different powwows on there. There's me dancing, but then, oh, I have a daughter too. <laughs> so there's some of my little, my, my daughter, when she was younger, when she's like seven or eight dancing, and then there's some other videos on there as well of just drumming. So that's another option, like always go for the real thing. And Pow Wow 2020, Pow Wow 2019, if any teachers, anybody wants to show your students, even high school or anything, Pow Wow, you just write Pow Wow 2019, thousands of videos will come up. But I also have a friend who has a channel called Pow Wow Times. So if there's any composers listening, middle school or high school, it's really, I think, when we choose our literature, so if we wanted to, you know, uh, honor the Native side, when we choose our power literature, or when we choose our literature, we got to know what actual Native song sounds like versus the yeah. stereotype that the mm -hmm. Westerns in Hollywood has put out. So I want to ask Michelle, just point blank, like, okay, we got our band, orchestra, and choir setups, right? Is that going to work? Is, is the Eurocentric setup going to work? That's what I want to know from you. So that's what, um, when you were talking about that, that whole thing, and um, I'm going to say the setup has to change. Yeah. And um, yeah. when when I went back, I went back to, I got my undergrad degree in 2004. I did not finish in music ed. I got out of that department because the department was not welcome to me, even though I was super talented. I played master classes. I played solos. You could come and see me. I was one of the top chairs immediately coming in. However, I was different. So then I got my master's degree 10 years um, after that. But the very first class I took in my master's degree for my master's in music education class, I was just music education has to change. Mm -hmm. I was sitting there and um, yeah, it can't. And so as a native person to understanding that all my grandparents, all of them, these are just my grandparents. I'm 39 right now. They're products of the, um, the boarding schools, the American Indian boarding schools. They were sent there. All my grandparents, all four of your grandparents, all four of my grandparents spoke their languages when they were born all of them went to this school. Now, that just taking kids away from their families is is terrible. We know this. The native culture, we are barely. I won't say we're just out of the woods yet. This is what we're healing from. So yeah. So the last boarding school in my state closed when I was born in 1981. That's when the school closed. 
Now in Canada, they have residential schools because you see on the colonizing the music room, you'll see a ton of people from Canada always talking about residential. So yeah. think about this, the residential schools closed around 1990s in Canada. And wow. so in the United States, the last one for my state, and there's some, the very first one was in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, I believe that closed in the 18 end of the 1800s. I think it wasn't open that long, but there's, there's different sites where all these boarding schools were. So my grandparents were products of those, meaning they all spoke their language when they went there. Uh, my dad's mom, my grandma, who I'm closest to, who I knew the most in my life, never shared anything about it. And she, um, they taught you trades. They taught you trades in these schools. So my dad's dad was a carpenter and my dad's mom, she ironed clothes. And they also, um, kids were at the boarding schools in the summer times, they were hired out as cheap labor. I don't know if they ever got, if they even got paid. And some of these people who went to the boarding school in my state, the last names of the people of native people, they had to choose a new English name. And sometimes they would just take on the last name of the person who they worked for this summer. So some of our names that we currently have are not traditionally our own. Um, in my family, I don't think that's the case, but yeah, all my grandparents were products of that. Um, some of my grandparents on my mom's side, her mom and dad, some people came out of those boarding schools with severe trauma and everybody handles historical, this trauma differently. You right. have people who drink, you have people who may, might do drugs, then you have the workaholics, you have the people who don't talk about feelings, they go and they do what was taught to them, they survive, they don't teach English down to their, their, their kids. I feel like that that's what happened to <laughs> half of my grandparents, they did half and half. And so when I grew up, and I learned at my school on my reservation um, how to count in Paiute. I learned our story of our stone mother from tribal, um, from tribal people who came to our school, but nobody spoke our languages fluently. In my home, I knew both Washa words and Paiute words. Um, but then when I went to high school off the reservation with mostly white kids, people would ask me and in, in college it got worse in college it got worse people were like oh you're native can you how do you how do you say this how do you say that and then I'd be like well I don't know how to say that here's this word and then people say well you're not a real native you can't even speak your language oh. but then when I would say well we had the boarding school situation then the conversation usually ends so we have all that and then ending that so up where you guys are in Seattle there's a ton of people in San Francisco there are a ton of natives because there was an Indian Relocation Act in around the 1960s as well, taking those kids from the boarding schools to try to further assimilate them into society. Yep. They're like, who wants to sign up? So if you were at a board, say if I was at a boarding school and I was young back then, I'm like, well, I want to sign up. Let me sign up. They just literally threw you out in the city. They didn't give you much money. They, you had to like fight and make your own way. So in some of the cities, the major metropolitan areas that we have, you have people who grew up, who have grown up in the, the metropolitan cities, but they know what tribe they come from. So they go back home and they visit their tribe. And so that's where their connection is. And then the book called There There by Tommy Orange, he speaks about this. If anybody's out there and they want to read about this, natives who are in a metropolitan area, they may have been placed there by the government, and but they still remain in connection and they have like a friendship house or they have a, a center where they meet. Uh, when I visited New York City a long time ago, we were like, is there a center for natives here? 
Yes, there is. In Chicago, is there a center for Native? So when I'm having conversation with Nate, with, with educators around the country and they're like, I can't find anybody. Because I know this information, I'm like, I know that there is a center in your city. If it's a major metropolitan city, there's probably not a reservation. There's probably not a colony or a rancheria or whatever they could be called, but there's probably a center. Um, That's interesting to know um, for finding maybe clinicians who might come into your classroom. Um, you know, in Seattle and then where Beth grew up in Montana, um, you can't drive, you know, more than 20 miles and not go through a reservation. Um, they're prominent. In Seattle, you, you could just drive two minutes from my house to the Duwamish Longhouse um, and you could have conversations um, with tribal members who could probably connect you with music makers who might come into your class. Um, but, and, and I wonder, um, I wonder if that's a much more appropriate way to bring native music into our classrooms than trying to have a concert band arrangement of native music i you know i just don't feel right with the concert band arrangement <laughs> i don't feel right about it either well i i was asked um there was a local composer here i forget what the company's name um i forget how long ago this was five or, i used to teach at a private music camp up in like lake tahoe so i did that for five years i was also a camper there uh for a long time i won a couple of the talent shows playing my playing my little solos and stuff so I, uh, this colleague of mine, he, we worked up there together and I, he's a, he was a band director and he asked me one time, he's like, Michelle, will you come and dance to this song that's supposed to be a native song? Will you come and dance for the concert? I, I think some of the conversations we've had while we taught at this camp, blah, blah, blah. And then I listened to this song and I was like, no, this isn't really my, this isn't really my thing. And so this, this is where I think music education, this is probably a really this is where my mind has gone if I was to design a music preparation program. Yeah. Is that we have classical music teachers. Mm -hmm. And then we have cultural music teachers. I happen to be both. Oh. And so I had to really um, figure this out there. I forget the article. I read about an article saying, talking about bimusicality, meaning you have musicality from a culture, you have classical music education, uh, where you read it because this isn't the only music that exists in the mm -hmm. world and it's definitely not the only instrumental people play instruments and they don't need to read music people you can play it without it so right. i think it's probably a, a bit of a dual approach mm -hmm. and my ultimate goal would be to be able to teach educators i guess the cultural protocols so like you're not an you're never an expert um when you're dealing with cultures, it's you, you have something to offer as in return. And so when, when we have all these, I want to honor your culture, but I know you don't know how to honor our cultures because there's nothing in return. You're just doing stuff like that. Just doing something mm -hmm. isn't honoring. Um, mm -hmm. So in return, um, since I did grow up on a reservation, the substitute teachers that my classmates and I really like the best and listen to they told us who they were. Mm. 
And I do have educators um, who don't identify as white. They will tell me I am Irish, German, French. Yeah. And, you know, and that to me is very recognizable. It's like, okay, you just told me about who you were um, and that we, we speak differently and they interact differently with their students they teach. So there are people who don't identify um, that I've met. They don't identify solely as white. Um, and again, they move different through the world, <laughs> right? And um, that's where I think uh, that, that, that has a lot to do with knowing your own history, knowing what part of the American history, where do you fit? I know where my tribe, I know how my tribal nation was established. Is the story a happy one? I think it's awesome because we're still here and we have our lake and we persevered. <laughs> but that story, I had to dig for that information. It wasn't like, oh, here you go here let's just learn about this no I had to like I, I still am researching different things and reading different perspectives the native perspective from the people who lived during this time during the different formations of the Pyramid Lake Paiute Reservation what I know now to call home um, is missing but I could find little pieces of it so I think that music education you're you can call yourself nothing but a classical music ed, uh, educator right now when you when you take a when you go over into the cultural side and you learn how to do music a different way, then I think maybe we could become actual music teachers than just than just classical. Because yeah, favor of like it needs to happen. I'm really glad that you uh, like shared that um, that you don't think you know, a concert band or orchestra arrangement of a fancy dance song. That's not going to work. No, because it's true. There is not repertoire out there that is worth playing, but how, is there someone who will create it? If they do, I'll play it. Like if, if it happens, I would love it, but I don't see it happening it would need to be a native composer first and right and that person is envisioning clarinets and flutes and and there would be oboes yeah so i think well last year i was part of the young people's concert the reno philharmonic orchestra you know i think a lot of a lot of different states do young people's concerts with their okay their philharmonic or whatever okay. so I was invited as a guest artist and I sang a pinut song so my envisioning was what I really wanted to do was for me to be able to sing the song to have the hand drum but I had an actual um Remo hand drum they make some buffalo drums that sound pretty cool so if they get damaged who cares it's not a real hide so anyways I brought that mm -hmm. and I own one of those so my my original intention when I wanted to sing with the group was I wanted to have some backup from the strings because I have seen it. There is some, you have to work, this would be a relationship. Like you have to work with the, the, the person who's carrying the song or making the mm -hmm. song. We have a ton of contemporary singers right now today. Um, the, the contest I entered on Sunday, the girl who put that on, they're, they're really well known in Canada, just phenomenal. But to have like, so say I have the, I could say, okay, let's be in the key of this. I want a whole note here. I want to stretch this out. Here's, uh, I think being able to just move and work together, whether or not that music is written down. I 
I, uh, and I tell music educators this, and if you're an elementary music educator and you've asked me for songs, I don't write, I don't write out in Western notation. I don't write out the key. Mm -hmm. I don't write out, I don't write that out because it's not how you find it. And there's enough videos that'll last that way. So getting an orchestral person and maybe they have a notation down says like four bars, you know, you're going to play on your, your D string or something like that, or, or just like that. So my envisioning for what I wanted, because I know what the instruments are, there wasn't enough time to put something like that together. Like that probably would require maybe six rehearsals with professional musicians because it's new to their ear. Um, we didn't have that time. <laughs> so I basically came on stage. You see a way where you could have um, a real collaborative. It has to be collaborative. Yeah. It doesn't. Like, exist. I would love to hire Michelle to come to Seattle and work with us. And the ultimate thing is, you know, you're helping us iterate your music that you want us to play with you you know because up around I'm also part Quinault so I'm Washer Shoshone Paiute and Quinault so the Quinault side my grand my dad's mom's gonna get it kind of hard because we we totally talk like this all the time right our relations my dad's mom her dad is Quinault he was full Quinault from up on the coastal area so there is a connection there. My grandmother was Paiute and Quinault. And so then now it's getting, it's getting further away. Um, so when, when I say, see educators in different cities, if, so say like, if I wanted to share my native song, my Nevada songs with you, cause I, I do have some, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll take that up and I'll explain. I'm Michelle and Paiute. This is a circle dance. This is blah, blah, blah from Nevada. And mm-hmm. then we could play as a guest artist. Yeah. However, if there was somebody in the area that I knew, which I probably do, <laughs> which I know yeah. I do, um, <laughs> and they were up for a collaboration and they were a very innovative. So I say I'm the innovative native. I put hashtag that because there are some of us within our tribes. We know what our actual tradition culture is. We know where we're going and then we're kind of pushing it forward to, yeah. you, you know, to work with other people. So when I know other people like that, if they're in the area who collab with other people, they, they know what modern music is, they know what their music is, they know what the traditions are, or they have, they own their piece of music, they own it, right? They, um, because there's no copywriting issues right now, but it's very, when Native people sing a song, that's something that belongs to the tribe. Mm-hmm. And, or it could be, uh, it, it might be, uh, like it belonged to a recording company not many people have it so then then just like working and working those little things out and making sure that this recording is not going to be sold is not going to be packaged and put for a resource um, for sale so it would be for the I think the higher the high school the middle school would be a collaboration or a college collaborate I love that idea and what I just th- think that would be great I would love that and it's such a richer experience you're learning and you're creating on the spot together. And like, just like you said, Michelle, um, the other musicians that are learning from you, like the kids in the orchestra, they also get to contribute something to this. Right. You know, it's a violin, 
and they're playing D string for four measures, but they're also contributing to this living whole that like is, you know, is it's just, that's a really inspiring thing to think about. Cause choral, <laughs> moving into the choral, the choir yeah. side um, of things. I, uh, in my internship, I know that the teacher I interned with, I did a choir internship on purpose because I didn't teach choir. I was like, no band, no band. I, I'm a band person to death, no. <laughs> I did choir and the choir, um, my mentor teacher chose, I forget what she chose, a Cherokee something song. And I was just like, oh no. I was like, please don't. But anyways, I, I just looked up as, because this is my mentor teacher who gives me the grade to be able to graduate. So this is again, where I have to, as a, as a native indigenous woman, especially making my way through higher education, there's many times where I've just had to do the best that I could uh, with what was going on in order to graduate uh, mm -hmm. because otherwise I wouldn't. So uh, it's really hard to work with singing styles that always want to sing in a very concert-like manner with the mm -hmm. head voice, like understanding a lot of cultures sing with their chest voice. Um, but then when I've seen some choirs try to mimic something they've seen without somebody who knows the technique, it, it doesn't come out right. Like it, it just kind of, just kind of falls. It's, so it's not, out um, it's not correct. It's, mm -hmm. So we, I think even if, so say if I was doing a choir, a choral piece and I was working with, um, certain, a certain choir and I maybe I'm singing my round dance song or something like that I would try to explain to them how the voice is supposed to sound but we have so many classically trained choral um, teachers and even in my own area dealing with sixth grade choirs or or trying to do say like even just like a mariachi piece it's it's almost as if the, the classical training is too much it's just too much it mm -hmm. overtakes everything and it's like here's the proper way and there's many discussions that i've seen on decolonizing the music room there's this proper way and um i i think we Who need to what's proper man this is like giving me like bad memories of vivaldi vibrato on everything like kids can't string kids cannot get away from the Vivaldi vibrato that they put on everything. <laughs> and one last thing, I guess I'll just let you guys know. So another reason why I'm like putting out my website is um, there are, there are going to be, I think I am working with, some music companies and it right now it's not as many and I don't know when it's going to hit the band world again I don't know because that's such a it's very different than elementary music very different than elementary <laughs> music you know but I am in the in like in talks with some music companies but more for the elementary school so I'm not sure when it's going to hit and which is why I wanted to also start a website so people who want consulting or want to mm -hmm. uh, yeah. to help out or help co-writing or something like that um so that that's also another hopefully going to be a function of my website so that people have a place to go um and again I I don't create these things I have somebody helping me create this mm -hmm. so 
hopefully it'll be out within the next month. Um, so I'm kind of like, here's what I'd like on here. And then here's the the amazing artist who does the web page design. Like, yeah, here you go. Yeah. So um, so people for the future will be able to find me somewhere there. Um, and if you are interested, I guess, uh, for a con consultation for your music programs or something, um, go ahead and reach out through Facebook right now. The message that's that's really good. Yeah, and I just want to like put it out there to music teachers that are listening. Take her up on this. Hire her for a consultation. Get the information, get the help, get the counseling. It's going to make you a better teacher. We all need to start doing these things. Go find the tribe closest to your school and and ask for somebody who can come in and work with your students I'm at a minimum that is what we should be doing right and and the fact that that wasn't my experience growing up in the northwest even though <laughs> we're, we're I mean we're on Duwamish land in the city of Seattle um the fact that we're not all doing that is upsetting um and there's a ton there's a ton i know up in up in the area around seattle because i go to auburn washington I, that's mm -hmm. where i go for the muckleshoot muckleshoot tribe every tribe that i know of pretty much um we all have people like myself who go out and do cultural presentations i just happen to be a classical musician who also is licensed as a music educator so i can understand the whole that side but um there's there's people like myself who who do presentations for a tribe nationally and internationally and so most of those people I do know like a lot of my friends I do have friends in Montana who do this I have friends in Oregon who do this I have friends in Arizona who do this and so that that's another key place is if uh, just get connected because there's yeah. most people don't have the music degree that I have but they also they have their cultural teachings and they present for a living and a lot of people are doing things through zoom right now yes so if you go to the social distance powwow page anybody who's listening go like that page um people we always announce who we are where we're from so we're like I'm from the blah 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 tribe in this state or whatever we totally tell you so you will see people probably from your state and we live it there's natives in every major city even if there's no reservation, we don't all we don't all live on the reservation. Most of us live off about 80%, I think, or something like that. Natives live off the reservation. Mm -hmm. Not many of us live on. Um, so I live on a reservation because I have Reno, Nevada is the closest city to me. That's 25 minutes away. If I did not have access to to like an airport and all that, uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure where I'd be living right now, but yeah, I, I love that I live 25 minutes away from a metropolitan area. There's still court cases that go to our Supreme Court every year uh, that are still functioning off of 1,700-year-old logic of land destiny or um, land claims. And unfortunately, these things aren't known to everybody, but yeah, so always look out just I'm here right now doing what I can. And hopefully also I can find other people who can help educate in the area. Cause I'm only yes. one person. Yeah. Um, I'm only one person. And so it helps to, to train other people or to have other people to yes. share or, or if I inspired something in, in you guys and then you could go and tell other people and then we can all yes. work together. Cause yeah, well, we, we, we have 
Uh, your voice as a connector is really, yes. I think people um, honoring the, um, the tribes that are around their school is a really important idea to me. It seems like a good place to start at mm -hmm. least. Um, and, and people might need help finding someone to work with. I, I mean, I think we could do it ourselves. I would think that you could go down to the um, bureau office in your city. I know there's one right by Washington Middle School where we used to teach mm -hmm. there's a, um, a Bureau of Indian Affairs office. I'm mm -hmm. sure they could connect you with somebody. Um, but if not, Michelle is offering to do so, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah, and just have a quick conversation. And I think um, what I find most fascinating is going through my mind this past week is the fact that um, a lot of the adult educators that I have who teach children of diverse backgrounds, whether they're international, national, don't have friends and don't have conversations with adults from those cultures. So I think it's, it's really important to understand that even if, if when you engage with somebody who is a different culture from you, especially Native American people, that's not a time to tone police. That's not a time to expect them mm -hmm. to act like you um, because that's one thing that gets in the way. So if I had a conversation with somebody like, oh, hi, how are you? And I was like, oh, okay, I'm great. So anyways, they're like, well, she didn't ask me how high back or something. So I mean, like these little things I think are getting in the way sometimes of communications. When you speak, when I speak with someone from a different culture, I never expect them to, I, I wanna feel them out and maybe there's a different way they communicate um, if they're gonna speak louder or if they're gonna be quiet or something like that, but just yeah. uh, have conversation with the adults of the people of the culture the, of the students that you teach with. Um, some people, some adults have a very good grasp on who they are, where they come from. Some adults don't. Some people feel like it's their job to assimilate into whatever American culture is. I don't think there's a real thing like, you know, what is America? I don't even know what that is. So um, <laughs> some people can't even answer that. Um, but yeah, there's different forms, but have conversations with the adults of the children that you teach um, and be ready for whatever they tell you they'll be good they'll be bad you'll make mistakes but you'll learn you'll learn and this you know I always like to bring this this kind of brings us to a close but this is Michelle a common theme so many guests on our show say something like this um, talk to the people the parents of your students, the families of your students, bring in the culture, bring that into your classroom, get to know these people. Um, and we've just, we've really just got to do that. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I know how, um, well, I don't know. I, for, for myself, if I would have grown up on the reservation, when I left to go to high school, I'd say that was my out fish out of water experience when I went to high school and I was bust off and I was not in a room full of native people anymore. So I had to learn how to get along with all the different cultures. My first friends were the black students. Um, people looked at me, there wasn't a lot of Mexican students at my school. So I got mistaken for that all the time. And then when I would say I'm native, people would have talked to me there, it was just, um, that was my fish out of water experience. And I was really good on the clarinet. And I was like, always in the all states, always in the honor bands, always getting command performance. And 
Um, I didn't have a, I didn't have any idea that people looked at me that I was different. I thought they were just going to like me for, for my talent. Oh no, my gosh, how wrong I was when I got to college. So for me coming from the reservation, having a naivety that everyone's just going to accept me because I'm a good person. No one's going to think bad about me and I'm going to think good about everyone. That's not how, that's not how things go. So I had to learn how to talk and advocate for myself, stand up for myself, um, learn how to get along with white people right now and understand that there are those people who aren't going to tone police me. Like you guys aren't tone policing me and that that's what we're looking for. And that there are people out there who aren't wanting to live by stereotypes anymore. They want those old ones gone. And so that's a challenge, right? So I went through my challenge a long time ago about leaving the reservation, um, knowing what life is like off the reservation. And so even maybe if I'm talking to my own tribal members who haven't had that experience, they don't see themselves as being open, I guess, to that Mm -hmm. either. But yeah, Mm -hmm. it is. It's, It's being open and not being, not being afraid, but you do have to build muscle. You do have build to build muscle. Hello, my name is Michelle McCauley. I am a member of the Pyramid Lake Paiute tribe. I am going to share a Paiute numbers song with you today that I created when I was uh, teaching music at one of the schools on my reservation. I am a licensed music teacher in the state of Nevada. I have a master's in music education, so I was classically trained. And then I I found with my culture, um, it's much more easier to rely on a lot of the cultural methods that I grew up that I grew up with. So I'm gonna share this Paiute counting number song with you. I use this with pre-K, kinder, first, second, and sometimes third graders quite a bit on my reservation. I did teach it to fourth graders and fifth graders. and so here we go. I'm going to start it. There are many different dialects of Paiute around 11 here in the state of Nevada. So I'm going to use um, the dialect that I remember learning when I learned how to count in Paiute. I was probably about eight years old in third grade over at the school where I was teaching at. So that is what I'm going to use as far as the dialect for these numbers. If you would like to use a different dialect, um, feel free. And it is going to be to a Great Basin um, circle dance beat. So we're going to do this a cappella first. And I'm gonna have the numbers up so that you know exactly which number it is. Okay, here we go. Sama you waha you pahe you watsikwe you manage you napahe you nata watsikwe you wo kosa kwe you sama kata upa sama mano you. And so if you notice while I was singing that song, Um, I was kind of keeping the beat a little bit with my hands. Uh, You could do that when you're singing with the children and I'm modeling everything for them. I make sure to scan the room, make sure all of them are looking at me because for me, I'm also, I do backup sing with some drum groups. Um, I mainly learned how to, for Southern drum groups, learned how to sing. And one of the ways that really helped me was to um, watch the lead singer on to know what what the songs are because they didn't always break it down for me, right? It's just like, here's a drum bam, go and learn. So I do that on purpose and I model everything for the students so that they'll be able to get it. Um, We do sing this, you can sing it four times through for repetition. Um, I usually break it down. So I'll do the first five first, 
especially for pre-k we will spend a good uh probably three weeks on the first five just alone so it'll be some you waha you pahe you watsikwit you manage you some you repetition is is the key here so the more you repeat and repeat and repeat and sing over and over with the children they will pick it up and i don't really write these down on the board even if the kids are third fourth or fifth grade because a lot of our cultural songs they're passed down orally so so just from just from listening to it so then once the students have got it down and they can sing it on their own all the way up to 10 i don't put all this in one class right so maybe a week on later i will then get out a drum and I will say go ahead and, and do your numbers with them and then we will do it four times in a row and so then here I go with the drum one and I have here's the prompt I have a prompt for us to all start singing first introducing the drum I go like this oh one a two a here we go some you waha you pahet you watsikwit you And then I add that on. That's just a, um, an ending that we've, we've added to some of the great bass and songs. So another thing you could do while you're drumming in order to get kids used to possibly being able to pick up a drum and to be able to sing and drum is I will have myself on the drum and what I tell the students to do. And this is at any age. This is any age. If you're trying to teach students, children, adults, whoever it is to drum and sing, I tell the students, take your right hand right put your pointer finger out and while we're singing this time I want you to tap the rhythm on your knee so while we are singing this and it's silent right we don't want them to make a sound because we want them to be in time with the drum so here's kind of how how it kind of looks when we're doing this so if I'm doing the drum and the students are or you can have them on their shoulder on their lap I like their their knee so it kind of looks like this a one a two a here we go some you waha you pahe you watsikwit you so when you have students their wrist is getting used to the motion if you see students using their whole arm stop them and tell them it's just your wrist because that's what that's what most drummers use is their wrist um, and so I just wanted to share that with you, a Paiute number song, give you some teaching tips as well on how to, how to kind of run your classroom and how to keep the students engaged so they're not just sitting there, some of you trying to get it, you know, put the phonetics in their hand and then also kind of put the bead in there and then before you get to, and then if you have enough drums for everybody, once you practice this for a while, put them on drums, it'll probably be amazing. Thank you once again. A million thanks to our listeners, followers, and subscribers. The support we receive monetarily and otherwise helps us to be able to spend time creating a quality product, and it allows us to tap into partnerships and resources to which we wouldn't normally have access. We are stoked about the journey of learning we have ahead of us, and we are delighted you've decided to join.